0: I was, I was a big Winnie fan, that, that hurt me, I felt like I was Kevin.
1: Hello and welcome to the One Football Podcast, I'm your host Ian McCourt. If last week's show hit a jaunty note as we revelled in the delight of Leicester winning the Premier League, this week we strike a more somber tone. And this somber tone will explain why today's show is coming to you a day late. We've been in mourning, listeners. We were numb. We were unable to speak. This was worse than that time in the wonder years when Winnie told Kevin she had met someone else. Or that time Robbie announced he was leaving, take that. What was it? Well, after his dismissal against Sunderland, his second of the season, it looks like John Terry and Chelsea are no more. Here to bring comfort and support during these hard times is Paddy Higgs. Andre Gonzalez, Hey. And Casper Schmick. Hello. That Wonder Years reference did that pass everybody by, or was anybody else a fan of the show? I
0: was a big Winnie fan. That that hurt me. I felt like I was Kevin. Do you remember this? Yeah, I do. Yeah. Because
1: just as we were talking, but I was watching this scene this morning, and when Winnie
0: tells, was it at the school canteen? Was that it? It was something like that. And Winnie had found this jock boyfriend. Yeah, yeah. It was terribly sad. It was the the exact anti Kevin too. Yeah. Could not
2: have been more different. Okay.
0: Did this? Did you have the Wonder Years in Portugal?
2: Maybe, but I didn't watch it.
1: It wasn't okay. What about Germany? Same here. But you didn't watch it, or it kind of passed you by, or
3: Um, I'm not aware that the show exists. Uh, Oh my Uh, god! uh, (laughs) What about what about Take That? Yeah.
1: Okay, I picked that one up. Did you have Did you have a favorite Take That song? Um,
3: uh, Don't know. Could it be magic? Interesting choice. <laughs> That's a very interesting choice. Paddy?
0: Uh, um, uh, I've so got many... a few. They're, they're, they're really good for karaoke, so they've got three or four that I really do enjoy seeing. Uh, definitely not the one that Casper that just mentioned. It's a little too hard to get up there uh, in my little voice. Yeah. So you go for something more Relight My Fire? No, not even that. Probably um, uh, Back for Good. Back for Good would probably be the favourite one. Yeah. I'm gonna put it out there. The pray. Oh, it's a great song. That's a great song. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: Really, really good yeah, song. Absolutely. I was sort of raising that MTV generation when Take That was was the thing, and myself and my sister used to watch. Used to watch it quite a bit. <laughs> anyway, so the Captain Leader Legend is gone. Paddy, how do you think he's going to be remembered? Or his how do you think his time at Chelsea will be assessed? Will it be for all those off the field incidents or will it be for his seven hundred and
0: three appearances and seventeen trophies that he that he brought to the club? I think it depends if you're a Chelsea fan or not, to be honest, in short. Um I, I'm not. Um so I'm happy to take um a certain stance. Just to, you know, um explain a little bit further. I sort of reject the the notion that footballers should be necessarily role models uh, in all cases. You, it, they often get criticism for not behaving better um, because they're an example for children and, and whatnot. To be honest, they're just guys who are good at um, one particular thing, have been thrust into the limelight as a, as a consequence. That being said, um, there are a lot of good footballers out there who are, Good people who seem to be um, you know uh, someone you 'd like to maybe sit down with, have a beer with uh, socially responsible um, and, and have a good head on their shoulders. John Terry, for a lot of reasons that have been widely reported, doesn't necessarily look like he's one of those people. So from a footballer point of view, I think he's been a wonderful footballer. Um, He's uh, been someone his club could rely on in in numerous occasions um, at times of need. But in terms of his personality, and I've never met him, we can only go on what we've sort of read and and heard. Um, He doesn't seem like he's someone I'd like to sit down with. So um, certainly a a player um, that will be missed by Chelsea, but a personality... Maybe not so much.
2: Andre, how's he seen in Spain
0: and Portugal?
1: Is he admired? Do they like his style?
2: Not quite. Um, I, I'm, I'm totally with Paddy on this one, and I think that most of the of the people that follow the the, the Premier League, if, if you're not a Chelsea fan, you're not a fan of uh, of John Terry. I think that's really, really simple, plain simple. And in Portugal and Spain, is, is the same. Um, He's not liked in Spain or Portugal. No, it's uh, you know uh, all the scandals that uh, that he had. I think only Chelsea fans can see. Uh, beside that, you know, and um, in Portugal and in Spain, all you can remember is the all things with the whole thing with Anton Ferdinand and the the racism problem, um, the thing with the uh, Wembley Bridge. I think. Unfortunately, that the, the yellow press uh, speak loud, really loud, and uh, we, we got that memory from from that. And Nadia, is he not admired for his footballing abilities, or do they, they don't see that? They see that, they see that. But I, I, it, on a personal note, I think that John Terry is slightly overrated by the the English press. Really, honestly, yeah.
1: What because of his lack of speed, or?
2: Because he's English, and you, you need to, you need to, yeah, it's true. You just need to uh, have a hero, and you don't have a like, you don't have a lot of heroes in uh, English football nowadays. So, yeah,
3: and, yeah. I mean, um, talking about on-field things now. Because off the pitch, I totally agree with you as well. Um, I think Chelsea are losing um, the absolute figurehead of the club uh, in the past. 15 years or so um um an absolute leader who had a knack for scoring important goals in the last minute or actually also for not scoring a very important uh, <laughs> shot uh, in Moscow uh, I think it was um but for me uh, him and Drogba they always kind of epitomized this club you know and the grit and fighting until the last minute and um, as a as a Bayern fan I always found it really uncomfortable to come up against Chelsea um, because of John Terry especially um, so yeah I think um, kind of Chelsea are also losing Lampard a couple of years ago now um, they are really uh, rebuilding this club and um, also getting a new character I think Mourinho not being there anymore um, I think it's also a big chance for them actually to change their image a little bit it's a,
1: it's a smart move by Conte though, isn't it? If he does go that he's getting other people to do his dirty work for him. That's going to make Conte look a bit... It's going to
0: cleanse almost Conte in the eyes of the Chelsea fans. Yeah, well you look at um, the struggles that Villas Boas had when he came in at Chelsea um, with Lampard still being there, Terry, a lot of big personalities and he really struggled to um, make his own mark there and I think Conte's going to come in with almost a clean slate because the guys that Casper that mentioned are gone already. Uh, it's interesting that you mentioned VSBOS because Villas-Bos obviously wanted to play a very
1: high pressing game, which is something Conte will want to do uh, as well. From you know, from watching his
0: Juventus team, which Terry can't do. Absolutely, absolutely. And I think he'll want to play a much more continental way. And as you know, Andre sort of mentioned before, Terry is perhaps much more highly rated um, in the UK than he is on the continent. And so perhaps it wouldn't have fit in, in, one, in the first place anyway.
1: Anybody have any ideas on where he's going to end up?
3: Well, the MLS, it looks like uh, he's not going to fit into the salary um, structure. So um, people are mentioning China. China. Um, obviously, he's going he's to be able to get the final payday um, you know, worthy of a champion. Yeah, probably. Uh,
2: Can you see him going back to West Ham or something like that? I don't think they want, they want him there.
0: I don't if, know. If Sam Allardyce was still in charge, then maybe. <laughs> um, but I'm not sure that that's probably the right fit for West Ham these days. Yeah. The,
1: um, the players are going to throw a party for him in the, uh, in the nightclub. Just don't bring the wives. I that's would say. The- <laughs> yeah. uh, allegedly. Um, the, so the players are going to they're they're throw a bash for him at the nightclub, at the, um, at the ground, at the Chelsea ground. Does anybody know what, what this nightclub is called?
2: No, but I'm really curious. I
3: read it yesterday but
1: I forgot. It's called Under the Bridge. <laughs>
0: <laughs> he okay. looks like a big red hot chili peppers fan, doesn't he?
1: Oh, that's an interesting question. What type of music do you think John Terry is into? I think I read it somewhere. It's probably
0: just sort of quasi hip hop.
1: Oh no, I I reckon he's more of the Phil Collins.
0: Oh, that <laughs> makes me. He, I think he'd really Phil disappointed if he does, because as you know, I'm a bit of a Phil Collins fan myself. That
1: makes Sh- me really Shania disappointed. But yeah, no, that- I think I think he's a step above Shania Twain. Yeah, I'd, I'd say he also likes Oasis. Not Blur. Blur might be, might not be quite to his type, but yeah, Oasis, <laughs> um, Kaiser <laughs> Chiefs, that sort of thing. Uh, okay, I reckon that's what he's into. Anyway, moving on from. John Terry Andre let's talk about our favorite topic at the moment Atletico Madrid okay what happened at the weekend
2: it was terrible for them it was uh, they basically blow it and uh, I, I don't think anyone was expecting that against Levante they were they were relegated already and it was uh, a match in theory quite easy uh, but a lot of weird things happened in that match and uh <laughs> Atletico really, 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 really blow it. Weird things have been happening to Atletico at Levante for quite some time. Yeah, now. what is
1: it? Two thousand and seven since they last won there.
2: Yeah, it's like the curse of Anueta for Barca, but that's the curse of uh, uh, Ciudad de Valencia for for uh, Atletico. And uh, but it, it was really weird if you analyze the stats uh, because Atletico, in theory, they they did everything they they should do to win the match and they they ended they ended with the uh, 17 shots 11 shots on target but uh Marinho was incredible the the the, the keeper the, the levante keeper was really 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 good and this thing is i think it was crucial for the match usually atletico is the best they are the best team in uh, in la liga when it comes to aerial duels and in this match it was terrible they only won six aerial duels against fifteen from from Levante, and Levante scored from a, a heather The first goal is a is uh, a header, and, uh, and Simeone was uh, I think in, in the in second half he lost it completely. It was really pff, on other 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 place, and uh, he rested Griezmann, Carrasco, and and Godin. which is a really unusual thing to do because
1: you like you've you got two rest games to play
2: you usually rest uh, your your key players before a big match uh and um this was a big match because Atletico, they, they really wanted to win the title so it it was it was a stupid move honestly just you don't rest and you don't rest godin in a in a match like this
3: but then just a just a quick one on uh, Carrasco and godin i think they probably um sort of came back quicker than expected against Bayern yeah. um, and then after the game they realized look okay let, let's maybe, give them yeah. a bit of a breather maybe yeah. they
2: they weren't fit to, to play uh, against uh, Bayern and not fit enough to, to play against Levante but uh,
0: it is interesting you just mentioned um those statistics about the aerial duels and the fact um that uh, they were up against a, a really informed goalkeeper you just got to wonder what Griezmann might do with the you know the latter and what godin would have done with the former, you know, yeah, um, obviously the best finisher probably in the club. Um, I would
2: say that nowadays it, it is the best finisher in, yeah. in La Liga.
0: Yeah, Ooh. and Goldin, yeah. who's of course very strong in the air. So two key areas that they perhaps fell down in, um and two key personnel that were missing. Okay, so their, it,
1: their defeat means that only Barça and Real can win the league. Yeah, who do you think it's going to be?
2: I think Barça. Barça will take it. Uh, they they're playing Granada. It's pretty much done. I'm not. I'm not saying. uh a KO's a K coming from that match honestly so Barca will take it
1: Paddy before we end this section do we want to have a quick word on what happened at West Ham and Man United last night and maybe have a little chuckle at what the boys on the bus were doing the boys on
0: the bus yeah, yeah. well the wheels weren't going around as fast as they <laughs> might have because um, the West Ham fans of course had a, a few things to say and a few bottles to throw at the bus um, this is obviously not something that you want to see and um, thankfully of course there were no injuries or anything like that but um, there was a, a, a video that surfaced um, on some social media from Jesse Lingard's phone and um, the Man United player and um, uh, the, the the tweet that came with um, was actually quite poignant. It just sort of said that you wonder how um, Roy Keane might react, or that he wouldn't react in the way that the, the United players were. And um, for those who haven't seen it, um, it was like a pack of ten-year-olds um, who had had perhaps a little bit too much, you know, uh, icing sugar on their cupcakes this morning. And, and uh, yeah, it was a little bit embarrassing, to be honest. Um, and I don't think Roy Keane would have had anything to do with that sort of scene.
2: Download One Football, the most comprehensive football
4: app in the world.
0: Do you write for miasunrod.de or .com?
4: Uh, well, that's a good question. I just uh, got recruited last week, oh. and, and I'm going to be doing feature stuff, so I haven't actually delivered a single article yet. Okay, but it, okay. I, I think <laughs> it's going to be for com when it comes up, but uh, yeah, just for now it's uh, just uh, DE, so yeah.
0: So we've got you nice and fresh, that's good. Yeah.
1: Virgin-like. Yeah. 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 Yes, yes. <laughs> We all knew back in August that Bayern would win the league, but what we did not know was that with the game to go, they would have pulled off two of the best possible transfer deals of the summer before the summer has even got underway. Here to talk about all that and more is Gard Obacken from the Bayern Munich blog Mia Sanrot. Guard, let's start with yesterday's big news. Hummels wasn't a surprise, but Renato Sanchez most certainly was. Was there any inkling at all that this deal was on the horizon?
4: No, uh, not really. I, the name had only been linked to Bayern just a few times, uh, and you know the big narrative had been Manchester United and a few other big interest, um, interesting clubs. So um, I think for most of the Bayern fandom and most everyone else, it came as a kind of a lightning strike from a clear blue sky. So um, yeah, it got not been, uh, not been leaked, not been much in, uh, in contention or linked on uh, on big fights. So, yes, it was like uh, kind of a lightning strike. And uh, the double deal in the space of an hour was, uh, yeah, really surprising.
1: With these two coming in, who do you see is making room for them?
4: Well, that's the big question, isn't it? You have, of uh, course, the obvious candidates to go in midfield, like uh, a quality player, in my opinion, Sebastian Rode, but who hasn't been getting much... Uh, of a look in this season. Then you have also the forlorn son in Schalke, uh, Heriberg, who was so highly rated, but has well, kind of not made the grade totally in, uh, in either Bayern or Schalke. Uh, Gargino is uh, the youngster who got uh, to start against Wolfsburg last season, has been one of St suits and his prospects aren't looking too good. But I guess the elephant in the, in the room is what would happen to Thiago. Uh, some people, you know, speculate if it's going to follow once again, it's been considered unlikely, in my opinion, and he uh, he's, uh, signed a contract until 2019, uh, not too long ago, while he was still injured. Uh, but, you know, uh, it's kind of a... It'll, for sure, have a lot of specula- speculative uh, speculation um, uh, to, to it, just at that point. Uh, who's going to make way? And, you know, it's only 18 yet, so... Uh, but the some dictates will, you know, be, be played and not just be blooded um, like um, uh, in staggered shifts and get a look in straight away. So that's a very good question, and we don't know just yet. But I'd say Roda is a very good candidate to leave for Gladbach or something like that in the summer.
3: So with Ancelotti coming in, obviously playing a different sort of system and tactics, and Guardiola, how do you see the centre midfield lining up next season?
4: Well, that's you know that's. Um, Again, a very good question, and uh, again, uh, Ancelotti being a bit more conservative of coaches uh, in comparison to to Pep, you'd perhaps see also, with Hummels coming in, that Javi Martinez would return to a defensive midfield role. Also, both of them have in common that they share a big love for for uh, Alonso, but, you know, he's getting on a bit, and uh, the fan base sometimes also think he's being overused a bit under Pep, but he was a very trusted guy under Ancelotti and still has a contract to 2017. And then there's also the the issue of Joshua Kimmich, who's been getting, uh, getting a very good look in this year and has looked uh, terrific, I'd say. So, you know, there's there's a wealth of options with um with uh Vidal um Vidal there and uh, perhaps Thiago and Sanchez coming in. So if you'd see uh defensive midfield of uh, Jar Martinez and Vidal and perhaps a four three three with thiago or, or Sanchez uh, rotating in and Kimmich rotating in perhaps in the, a little bit more easy uh, competition than the big Champions League matches, uh you know, there's a wealth of options and, you know, it's uh, just not worrying to see how it will, uh, you know, look when uh, when Ancelotti gets around to, to building it. Uh, so, I think it'll be different in, you know, um, the, the little bit lesser Bundesliga teams towards um, the, the Champions League teams. So, yeah.
1: Guard, let's go back to last week for a moment and the exit from the Champions League. After that match, many were happy to point out that Pep had failed during his time at Bayern Munich. Where do you stand on that? Yeah.
4: Well, you know, the the media and everyone is always looking for, you know, an easy narrative. So, you know, you either want to say success or failure. Uh, I don't think you can fully subscribe to either of those views because uh, he wasn't only hired to uh, to do or win the Champions League, but, of course, coming in with such a tremendous team and on the back of a treble, which, of course, he knew nothing about when he signed on to Bayern in December 2012, uh, you know, you, you can't you can say he's been a total success because the Champions League and the starting point made a uh, Champions League at least the final in three years pretty much uh, a reasonable expectation. I think so. In that part, of the, the the negative uh, part of the time base has a point, but you know, he's. Uh, He's winning on the on the Bundesliga with the consistent uh, excellence he's he's um, displayed there uh, for about three years with um, three of the most successful Bundesliga um, seasons on record and uh, the immense tactical flexibility he's built into the squad and how much uh, the players have developed under his tutelage. Uh, I think I think it's uh, equally unfair to say you know failure because that that kind of goes to that only the champions league matters and I think most people in Germany with a deep seated connection to to Bayern and, and elsewhere who's followed the, the club for a long time would say, you know, that we've seen some of the best football in Bayern history, if not the best, over a sustained period of time. So I think both is both is kind of um you can not say either to my mind. He hasn't been a total success because of the weight of expectations and uh, where he started, but to say failure is In my mind, extremely unfair, and I think a lot of people um, that people listen to will agree to that. That it's too tabloid a header uh, for his time at Bayern.
1: Will that, will that tactical flexibility and the style he's brought to Bayern over the last few years, will that be his legacy to the club?
4: I think so, I, I, I very much think so and also how he's developed some of the players into new positions and you see the strides taken by by players like Alaba and Wateng and a lot of other people and also I think Miller also has added uh, to his game um, and I, I think perhaps you can see a parallel in um, what's going to happen with the uh, uh with um with Pep and Ancelotti towards uh Van Gaal and Heinkees because, you know, Fangal was a teacher type who developed a a kind of a style but perhaps took it a bit too far and wasn't the biggest of pragmatists all um uh, uh, while you know Heinkez is more of a players coach and he re- refined it uh, what he took over from fangal with with pragmatism and, you know, made a tinkering here and there and and set it up to then in the end deliver something in, Extremely impressive. Uh and I think Angelotti might be uh, a parallel to that in, in conjunction with Pep because he's, you know, a little bit a bit more of a pragmatist and a players coach and, you know, not as much of a like uh, a revolutionary as, as Pep uh, is considered to be. So I think we might see a parallel there and I'm excited to see uh, what Angelotti can make of this because with the additions of Romo and, and Sanchez it's gonna be an extremely strong squad too. The start of next
1: season. That was guard from the prominent Bayern Munich blog Mia San Rod. Uh, Andre, first of all, how do we pronounce Sanchez's first name?
2: Renato, nice, and the second one, Sanchez, and not Sanchez because Sanchez is a Spanish name, and okay. in Portuguese, it would say Sanchez. Okay. You've seen him play a bit. Yeah. Do you think he's worth the money? I don't think uh, there's any. I don't think there's any player in the world worth 35 plus 45 in bonus. Uh is a brilliant player. Uh lovely prospect and um What are his strengths and weaknesses? Is a bit too aggressive in it to uh control his uh the way he tackles. Sometimes it's a bit too aggressive. Um, It needs to improve, is uh, pass to decide better. But this is the kind of things that you expect from an eighteen-year-old. This is the kind of thing that you usually, in two, three years, you you evolve to another level, and we all expect that from Renato. Uh, But thirty-five million plus forty-five in bonus. And we still don't know uh, what kind of bonus. I I was reading the the official statement and there's nothing uh, about the the bonus. We just know there's a 45 million bonus until 2021, I think. So it's a lot of money. It's a lot of money.
0: Listen, I think you're 100% correct, but I think that unfortunately that's the way football is going. But to be honest, if Bayern end up paying Out all this bonus, um, you know that obviously takes it to eighty million. You would assume by that stage, you know, without knowing exactly what these bonuses are, that he's going to be one of the best players in the world, and then he'll be worth much more than eighty million. Not to mention the trophies and, and accolades that they may have won in that meantime. So, it'll be worth it.
1: Sunday saw the end of this season's Eredivese and boy, did it end in some spectacular style. Michael Bell from Football Orange joins us to, on the line to talk about that. Michael, for those who missed it, maybe you could give us a blow-by-blow account of what happened.
5: Well, it was probably one of the most exciting ends of the season for quite a few years in Holland. Um, both Ajax and PSV went into the last day level on points, but Ajax had a greater goal difference of plus six and they were away to second bottom the Graf's gap while PSV are away at PEX 4 who were still hoping to get into the playoffs so PSV had a harder tie and everyone was basically thinking Ajax were going to sweep the cap away and easily lift the title but it didn't pan out that way Um, basically Ajax took the lead in the first half and then missed 3 or 4 golden chances um, including an open goal and early in the second half the Rashcap equalised out of the blue, long ball forward Headed down, Smeets just sweeped into the corner. And from that point on, Ajax couldn't recover. They threw everything at the Gravescast defence, but they held on. And PSV won 3-1 at Pixel. And that was another narrow few minutes when their game ended. There was plus five minutes on in the Ajax one. But they held on and PSV lifted it.
1: I, I guess the closest comparison would be the 2006-2007 season right When Kaku was playing for PSV and they won I think they won ahead of Ajax and goal difference on the final day again And Alchemar were also involved
5: Yeah, there's been a few years but this is the closest for about 10 years So there has been a few times where it has ended Basically one point going into last day or three teams in the last day But this is definitely the closest in the past few years
1: yeah given that given that PSV lost a number of key players in the summer did you expect them to be to be this good this season was so just looking at some of the stats it's it's really incredible i think they've lost just twice they've ended up with a goal difference of plus 56 and they've picked up what is it 46 points since the winter break
5: yeah and including the fact that they got to Champions League last 16 obviously they held Athletic of Madrid as well to 2 no-no draws and they went out on penalties well. that have had an absolutely incredible season considering they lost both Wijnaldum and Memphis Depay last summer, but um, they kept the rest of the squad together. I mean, Luke de Jong was uh, key was he stayed, and he scored 26 goals this season. I think he's added about 10 assists as well. He's had an incredible season. I think Koku's management and just keeping the core squad together, like Guardado, the added of Michael Van Hinkle in January as well, that was an excellent signing. And, you know, Defensively as well, Jeffrey Brummer as well. He stayed last summer and he was excellent as well. Right at the back.
0: Marco, I saw um I think you, you guys must have tweeted it this week. Um, they will be losing a few players this summer, correct? Adam Maher amongst them?
5: Adam yeah. Um he has actually been a major disappointment over the past three seasons really since he signed for PSV. They expected him to be, you know, the next big thing. They beat Arsenal to sign him um, but really he has kind of fallen out of favour. He was playing for the reserves almost this season. Um, so he won't be a big loss to them at all. Um, but Jetro Williams, he's meant to be leaving. Um, the director said yesterday there's actually been interest in Jeffrey Brimley as well. Those two, if they left, that would be terrible for the side.
1: Is Luke de Jong going to leave as well?
5: Um, actually, Marcel O'Brien said that he expects him to stay for another season. Um, I think because he's now working his way into the Holland squad and top goal scorer, captain... Taking our hit in the Champions League next year. I mean, he'd be mad to throw, throw it away to go to maybe a mid-table Premier League side or an our Bundesliga one where he struggled last time at Gladbach.
1: What's the difference with, with De Jong now? Because he was, I mean, like you say, he struggled at Gladbach, he struggled at Newcastle. What, what's, what's been the difference? Why is he so, all of a sudden, why is he banging in all these goals?
5: I guess you could say mostly confidence, I guess. I mean, Newcastle really didn't play... his strength I mean you don't get crossed into the box often enough but PSV the way they like to do it is build from the back usually De Jong will sit in the middle and he'll win tackles in the middle of the box and then supply the wingers and they'll run up the pitch and then um, supply across the front in the middle so he actually plays mostly in the centre midfield wins the ball around there which is key strength and then the wingers for PSV they play with two very fast wingers so they get the supply in quickly whereas he didn't get that at Gladbach he definitely didn't get a New
1: Um, another striker making waves and banging in the goals is Vincent Janssen. Uh, maybe you could tell us a bit about him and why people in Holland are so excited about him.
5: He's actually had an incredible season considering last year he was the top goal scorer in the Dutch second division for Amir City who didn't get quoted. Um AZ paid about two or three million for him to bring him into their division and he started off actually really poorly. Um, AZ had a very bad start to the season. And they actually signed El Hamdawi back because they were thinking of dropping Jansen. But then from the turn of the year, I think he scored a game against Rhoda JC. And then from that point on, he just went on an incredible run included hat tricks, four goals in one game as well. Um, I think he scored something like 21 goals in his last 17 games. It was incredible. Um, but he's a big, fast striker, robust. He's getting compared to Rud Van Nistelrooy, and you can see that. He's uh, very, quite burly, and he takes some nonsense in the box. And once he gets the ball in front of goal, he's clinical as well.
0: Michael, he's just starting out his uh, career with the national team, of course, as well. But, of course, the you know the Netherlands won't be uh, featuring in the Euros this summer. Um, over the past couple of years, there's been a bit of an opinion that maybe the Eredivisie has, has dropped off a little bit. What effect do you think that might have had in, in a result uh, like this in terms of missing the Euros? Yeah, the
5: Eredivisie's quality um, definitely has dropped over the past few years. You're seeing more and more that... Ajax are having to rely hugely on their academy. I mean, most of the spine teams the team 19 And when they get into the Champions League, they come up against experienced teams and get knocked out of the qualifiers. And that's just leaving one team in there. And it's hard to get experienced players to come into their division. So the quality's stopping, which means the Dutch national team, once they didn't have that experience they're having to you know, go out two of these kids, and I think in the last game they played in the qualifier, it was like Kenny Tete, Bazur, Ryder Wadra, 18 19, and they're expected to take us into the Euros, which just didn't work out at all.
0: What sort of future do you see for the national team?
5: I think the next few years is going to be a bit of a struggle. The World Cup qualifiers have got France, who played us off the pitch in a friendly, um, I think it was last month, two months ago, and we've got Sweden as well, obviously, Abramovich. Um So it could be a case of we miss out in the World Cup, but Given two or three years and given these players like Basur, Tete, Radewild, Janssen a few years to move abroad and develop the game, the next Euro should be really when the Netherlands are back. I think it feels strength, but we may need to miss out on the World Cup together.
1: Okay, that was Michael from the ever-excellent Football Orange blog. Uh, it sounds like an exciting day in the uh, an exciting final day in the Eredivisie But Casper, you think you might have you might have another a more exciting end of season.
3: Well uh, coming from Germany I obviously you have to look back to um Schalke's so-called four minute championship. Um I think it was in two thousand and one um where basically on the final day um um Schalke needed a win, Bayern needed a Bayern needed a draw and um, so Bayern would be champions. Um And Schalke um, turned a game um, against Unterhaching, uh, you know, like from being tunneled down at home. And then they turned the game and and won the title uh, or or won the game. And and Bayern um, um, got a very late goal in Hamburg. Um, So basically, um, you know, in Schalke, they were looking at the screen. The game was already finished. And they're saying, oh my God, we are champions, we are champions. It was the last game in the old Parkstadion. Um, people were running onto the pitch, you know, like carving out their pieces of grass and kissing the grass. And <laughs> it was like the most the most uh, emotional moments you would ever see. Schalke hadn't been championed since 1958. Uh, and then um, suddenly they all turn around to the big screen and they see... Bloody hell, the Bayern game is still on. <laughs> and Bayern actually got a pen- uh, got a got a free kick in the penalty area in the last minute um because the keeper picked up a a, a back pass. Yeah. <sighs> Funny enough, the keeper used to be a Schalke player. Um and, and then Patrick Anderson just whacked the whacked the free kick in in uh, really like third minute of overtime um from eight meters out or something, and obviously that meant that um Schalke had lost the title but they had been champions for four minutes and and it was a great celebration (laughs) obviously a bit short-lived but poor um, Schalke yeah
0: poor poor Schalke not many people will say that to be honest yeah
1: (laughs) has it been something similar in Portugal
2: not recently (laughs) not recently no um I remember one in Spain uh it was I think I'm not sure if it it was it's still in the 20th century with the And uh, the Port was uh, champion for a while, but they, they missed a penalty. They were they were about to, to win the title, but they missed a penalty in the end of the, of the match and they, they, oh. they lost it. Yeah.
1: That's all from us today. My thanks to Paddy, Andre, Casper, Guard, Michael, and our producer, Damien. Go to iTunes, subscribe to the podcast, uh, give us a rating, and while you're there, you might as well download the OneFootball app too. You can also hit us up on Twitter, Facebook, and SanClair at OneFootball. Thanks for listening.